You know, there's a, a common misconception in churches today that pastors are only supposed to talk about things that people want to hear about. Yeah, I deal with a lot of churches, and we've got a lot of sister churches and a lot of partner churches across the country, and many times I see that expectation in the people in churches, and I see many pastors falling victim to those wishes. Well, that shouldn't surprise us, because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3, verse or 4, verses 3 through 4, that in the last days, people will want a pastor who tell them what they like to hear. Now, I'm not just bent on making people mad. <laughs> But uh, I do want to be a faithful servant of the Lord. And I do want to communicate to you as clearly as I can the message that I believe God has given for me to share with you week in and week out. So today, we're going to talk about a topic that many people don't like to hear about at church. I want to talk to you about the subject of alcohol. And let me tell you why we're going to talk about this today. We've been studying the book of Ephesians, and now we're in Ephesians 5, verse 18. <clears throat> if you, as you look at the context of what we've been studying... The Apostle Paul's talking about wisdom. He's talking about living our lives or walking with God on a daily basis in a way that, that we can make the most of our lives. And, and just before we get to what I believe is one of the most critical aspects of the Christian walk, which is being led by the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about that beginning next time. Just before that, the Apostle Paul is led by the Lord to bring up the subject of alcohol as a negative example or a negative contrast to the wonderful things that God intends to do in our lives. So today we're going to explore that a little bit together. Before we go any further, because this is a little bit of a hot topic, I want to make a few introductory comments as we get started. Number one, I realize that alcohol is very acceptable in our society, even many times among Christians and probably maybe even many here today. In fact, after one of our very first baptisms ever here at New Hope, a family member of one of the baptism candidates walked up to me and said, Pastor, would it be appropriate if I offered everybody a beer? And I said, well, uh, that probably won't be necessary. <laughs> it's prevalent in our society, even so much that maybe it's a part of uh, significant experiences like being saved and being baptized in people's lives sometimes, or at least that's the expectation. I also want you to know something, that New Hope is not a legalistic church. Legalism says you must do certain things or you must not do certain things to be accepted by God. We do not believe that. The Bible teaches that the only way that I'm accepted by God is because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. When I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, I am found fully pleasing in His sight. However, having rules or having guidelines to live by is not legalism. It's wisdom. It's smart. Yesterday at the ball field, now my son Drew, you have to give him some pretty broad parameters. He's not the kind of kid you just put in a little box. But I have to say to him, hey, Drew, you got four baseball fields. Wander as much as you want. But there's some parameters. The parking lot is off limits. Hey, buddy, I love you. You may think I'm a mean daddy, but you just can't go there. It's smart to have some guidelines to live by. I also realize that many Christians see what we're going to talk about today differently. And that's fine. Ultimately, if you have your own convictions before God about the area that we're going to talk about of alcohol, then that's between you and God. But I believe that many Christians have not been given the facts on this topic, haven't really been taught what God's Word says, and haven't really explored uh, the evidence of what alcohol does to people's lives. And so ultimately, that's going to be a decision 
between you and the Lord. I will tell you this, that you can trust that your pastors, that your deacons and their spouses and any kind of church family get-togethers that we have together, alcohol will not be involved in your leadership's lives and it will not be involved in church family events that we do together. But ultimately, as a child of God, that's going to be between you and Him. So with those things in mind, let's turn to Ephesians 5.18 and I want to talk to you about the truth about alcohol. Now clearly, the first thing I want to bring up here Clearly in this passage, the Bible teaches us that getting drunk is a sin. Getting drunk with alcohol is clearly a sin according to God's Word. Now I have to tell you something. I've already brought this up. I've already alluded to this. It's interesting to me that God leads Paul to bring up alcohol right here. He's talking about wise living. He's talking about living life God's way. He's talking about not getting trapped in the world's way. He's talking about understanding God's will for your life, about not being foolish, but making the most of your life. And then just as he's about to lead into that uh, important topic of how to be filled and to be led by the Spirit of God, he writes these words. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Why does God bring up that command right here? Well, some people have said it could have been a particular area that the Ephesians struggled with. In their Christian walk, as they were beginning their walk with God, maybe some of them struggle with alcohol. That is possible, but you know, I really don't see any other emphasis about that throughout the book of Ephesians, so I don't think that's why I brought it up. Another reason might be that from their religious background, many of these people had uh, some of the religious experiences that they had from false gods and false religions involved alcohol. It was kind of a way for the enemy to, to, to drag people away into darkness and to delusion. They would have these frenzied uh, alcohol parties and they would supposedly be worshiping God through that. And so some people believe that maybe Paul is saying, hey, that's the background you guys have, the religious background you have, is that alcohol can be a part of your worship. That is possible, but it, but it doesn't really seem to be an emphasis anywhere in Ephesians, so I don't think that's what he's saying. I believe probably what Paul is doing, since it sort of just comes out of the blue here, is he's, don't forget what he's talking about. The point of Ephesians 5 is that God wants us to be controlled by Him. God wants us to be led by Him. God wants us to be completely surrendered and filled by Him. And so what God does is He's saying, listen, don't go the world's way. And by, by example, he uses alcohol as a contrast with God's way. Because alcohol has an incredible ability to control a person's life. Amen? How many of us here today know somebody whose life is controlled by alcohol? In fact, he says getting drunk with it is dissipation. It's wasteful. It's a ruined life. It's no way to live our lives. So I want to ask you as we get started, first of all, are you getting drunk with alcohol? I can tell you absolutely categorically, the Bible says that is not God's desire. That is God, not God's purpose for your life. It is not His will that we be controlled by alcohol. Getting drunk and being controlled by alcohol is a sin. And if that is a part of your life right now, God is wanting to deal with you about that. God is wanting to speak to you about that, that that's something He wants you to, to help you to turn away from and to put your trust in Him to deliver you from. And I understand that it is a very powerful, many times, addiction in people's lives. That's one of the reasons why our church is exploring the idea of uh, these Bible studies called Celebrate Recovery. And 
very possibly in the fall. We're going to be kicking off some of those Bible studies because they help people come out of addictions, not just alcohol, but many other kind of addictions. And wouldn't it be great if we were a church where real people who have real struggles like alcohol and sexual addictions and all these different things that people struggle with, if they could find Christ and they could find healing and hope and deliverance right here in our church, wouldn't that be awesome? That's why we want to do those kind of things. But you know, many people would say, okay, I agree with you. I see that. I believe that getting drunk is a sin. But I don't think there's anything wrong with an occasional drink. I drink a glass of wine before I go to bed, or maybe if I go to Olive Garden, I get a glass of wine with my meal, or hey, while I'm watching the game, watching NASCAR, I drink a beer with the guys. I just need to share with you at this point, if you've already made up your mind about that, you may as well go ahead and take your nap, okay? (laughs) Because the rest of the message, I just want to talk to you about to, to think about that a little bit. And maybe you have. Maybe you've come to your own informed conclusions. But I just want to challenge you to think about some of the things that I believe the Bible teaches. And number two, the second thing is that I believe the Bible teaches that any drinking of alcohol is not wise. Any drinking of alcohol is just not the best thing for our lives. Now, I think a key to understanding this is for us to, first of all, consider the answer to this question. Is the wine of the Bible the same as the alcohol of today. When I go to the grocery store and I buy a bottle of wine, if I did, okay, when I go, I'm speaking hypothetically here, if I do that, or if I go to the liquor store, or if I go to Applebee's and roll up to the bar and just say I'd like a nice drink before my meal, is what I'm drinking today, is what we drink today in our culture, is that the same as what the Bible, is what we find in the Bible? Well, I want to share some things with you that you may not know. When wine is referred to in ancient times, in ancient Hebrew and Greek sources, it could refer to one of several things. When the word wine was used, it could refer to grapes that were still on the vine. So you could be walking by a grapevine, and you can say, in my southern accent, man, that's some fine wine. Amen? You could look at the grapes and say, that's some good-looking wine. So it could be grapes, or it could be unfermented, freshly squeezed grape juice. Now, kids, don't do this, okay? But when you go to Hannaford, you could pick up the Welch's and say, man, we're going to have some good wine for breakfast, all right? Freshly squeezed grape juice was referred to when the word wine was used. It also referred to an unfermented grape concentrate. What they would do is they would boil the grapes and it would produce this paste-like substance that was more easily stored in, a, in an environment where it was, they didn't have refrigeration. It was easily stored that way. And later, they would add water to it to make another kind of grape drink. And so that's what it referred to sometimes. It also referred to what we think of when we use the word wine. It did refer sometimes to fermented grape juice of some kind that had alcoholic content. That's what we usually think of when we use the word wine. Now, as we're reading the Bible, or as we're reading uh, uh, sources that would talk about wine, how would we know which one was being talked about? Well, just like any good student of God's Word, or any good student does, you look at the context. And when you look at the context, you could tell what kind they were talking about. Now, when it does refer, when they did refer to fermented grape juice, what we usually think of when we say the word wine, now listen, what what I'm about to share with you I think is very important for us to understand. To see that when we talk about alcohol today, I'm not so sure that we're talking apples to apples. 
or maybe we should say grapes to grapes. We're not talking apples to apples. We're talking apples to oranges. And let me explain to you why I say that. When they had fermented grape juice, the most alcoholic content that they could produce with the processes that they had, and it was pretty much just the natural process of grapes, you know, kind of decaying and fermenting uh, out in the sunshine, the most that they could produce was 9 to 11% alcoholic content. And under normal circumstances, that was mixed with water. In fact, ancient sources tell us that people back during that time, they would take at least three times as much water, even as much as 20 times as much water, and they would dilute that alcoholic drink. Otherwise, and don't miss this, without it being diluted, the people during that day would have called that strong drink which is something that the Bible and even non-Christians in that culture would have universally condemned. One source says this, if the wine was fermented and served undiluted without the water, it was considered barbaric, defiling, and incapable of being blessed by the Jewish rabbis. Another source says this, even among the civilized pagans, and that just means Christian people who weren't Christians, but they still had sense. He said, even among the civilized pagans, drinking unmixed wine was considered stupid and barbaric. They would have considered that crazy juice. I mean, that's the stuff that makes you do weird things. Why on earth would you drink something like that? Now, let's think about it for just a moment. Since the least that they would have mixed with that beverage would have been three parts water, the highest alcoholic content that their beverage during that time would have had would have been just under 3%. And, and we know that many times they, gave, they put much more than that. If they put 10 times of water, it was 1% alcohol. If they put 20 times of water, it would have been 0.5% alcohol. Now today, we consider something an alcoholic beverage if it has just over 3% alcohol. So if I've got half a percent alcohol in my uh, grape-flavored water juice now, right? I mean, that's basically what it is now. If I've got half a percent alcohol in that, what do I have? Purified water. You see, back during this time, they used alcohol to purify the substances that they drank. I don't know if you've ever been to a third world or a foreign country, but sometimes I wish I had a little alcohol to kill the things floating around in those things that we were drinking. Amen. No, amen. We're not drinking on mission trips. <clears throat> we'll ask God to help us. <laughs> God, you please kill all these nasty, ugly things. Now, compare those percentages with the amount of alcohol in our drinks today. Now, again, I don't, I don't get, I'm not meaning to get bogged down in, in details, but I just want to, 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 to teach us a little bit. If over here... I've got 9 to 11% alcohol. That's considered crazy juice. And so, and that's my term. And so they dilute it down to as much as less than three, maybe one, maybe even half a percent. Did you know our wine today has 12 to 15% alcohol in it? Okay, then you go to the liquor store. Man, you can get the good stuff, can't you? I mean, you can get the hard stuff. You can get 40 to 50. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, and I hate to speak out of experience here, uh, but I think you can get as much as. 100% alcohol, can't you, if you want to? Nobody wants to answer because you don't want to act like you know. <laughs> what are we saying? There's a lot of alcohol in there. They would have considered that strong drink, even beer, even though it's less, is somewhere around 5% or maybe slightly less in, in some, uh, some beers. But still, even the lowest that we have today would be 2 to 10 times more alcohol than the wine mixed with water that they would have used. So what are we learning? 
what we drink today leans much more in the direction of what they would have said. <laughs> you don't touch that stuff unless you, you're just about to die, unless you're, you're doing pretty bad off, unless you want your mind to do crazy things. They would have said that would not be wise to drink that stuff that's not mixed with some water. Now, some people say, well, then why doesn't the Bible universally condemn the drinking of wine? Well, I believe, I believe the primary reason is that the Bible does not do that is because sometimes when it uses the word, it's referring to grape juice. Also, alcohol, as we've said, in very small amounts was used as a purifying agent for their water. And number three, we're going to talk about this more in just a moment, they used it for medicine sometimes. In fact, uh, back in an older day in our country, maybe some of the older generation, maybe you've had the same experience I have. When I was about two years old, my great-grandmother, hey, didn't have a pharmacy. Robbie had a bad cough. Take a little honey. Take a little peppermint. Take a little lemon. Throw in a little whiskey. And I was seeing stars for two weeks, but I sure wasn't coughing anymore. Amen? <laughs> yeah, I grew up in the country. But in spite of all those dangers we've talked about, listen to these statistics. Listen to how prevalent alcohol is. Can you imagine? Would you want, if you just put on paper what our country is about, would you want our country to be known for this? Alcohol is second only to caffeine in the number of people who use a particular substance in our society. Caffeine's number one. Everybody says amen. Did you want your coffee? All right, caffeine. And then, oh yeah, alcohol is number two. Did you know every weekend when you're on the road, one out of ten people has been drinking alcohol that is driving? So here you are. You're at the traffic light. Here people are going through. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, drinking. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, twenty, drinking. Every ten persons has been drinking alcohol. Did you know? You know, sometimes we don't ask young people questions because we don't want to know the answers, do we? You don't ask what's going on at school because you're afraid it might scare you. Well, it should scare us that 75% of all high schoolers drink alcohol. That is stunning, isn't it? It's not surprising to me because I used to be a youth pastor, and not too long ago I used to be a youth. And I know what it's like. I know how many people drink. 50% of all junior hires Drink alcohol. That means tonight, when we have youth group, if there's 30 kids there, if they follow the averages, and we're trusting God that we're breaking those averages, amen? But if we follow the averages, if you just gathered a group of 30 young people, 75% of them are drinking alcohol to some degree. More undergraduates will die from alcohol-related causes than will get MA degrees and PhDs combined. That's what we're known for. About 40% of Americans have direct experience in their family with alcohol abuse. That means in this room, if there are 100 people, and there's slightly more than that, if there are 100 people in this room, 40 of us have direct experience in our family with somebody abusing alcohol. And we don't see this as serious. If 4 out of 10 of us had a problem, we wouldn't notice that. We wouldn't point that out and say, somebody needs to talk about that. Hey, but don't feel bad. It's just not all... Uh, you know, it's just not all the people sitting out there. It's pointing back up here. Did you know half of all ordained ministers drink? <laughs> so, if you go to a church, here's one pastor. Okay, he's sober. You go to the next one. One out of two is going home and drinking after the service. 
One out of three church members drink. Americans consume 416 million gallons of liquor per year. We consume 570 million gallons of wine per year. And we sure do like beer. 575 billion gallons of beer per year. Alcohol is very prevalent in our society. There's no doubt. But it's also dangerous and costly, isn't it? Did you know an estimated 10 to 15% of all who ever take that first drink will become an alcoholic? And some of us in this room today can testify to that. You made that mistake. You let your guard down, and now you've got an addiction to deal with that you still struggle with. 50% of all traffic fatalities involve drinking. I could go on and on. One person every 30 seconds is injured in an alcohol-related case or crash. In one 10-year period from 87 to 97, four times as many people were killed in alcohol-related accidents as were killed in Vietnam. From 1982 to 1995, 300,000 people died in alcohol-related crashes. Somebody said that's like a 747 jet going down every week for 14 years with four to 500 people on it. We're playing games with something dangerous, aren't we? 60% of college women who are diagnosed with sexually transmitted disease were drunk when it happened. 25% of all of our marriage problems in this room are related to alcohol. Over 40% of all violent deaths are alcohol-related. And, you know, when I was in college, I used to work in a store, and they told me I had to sell alcohol. I said, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to. You can have another associate come up and ring them up, or you know, I'll just have to find another job. But I cannot be a part of selling that alcohol. I can't stand knowing that I sold something to somebody that they're going to go ruin their life with. And they would say, but we make so much money with alcohol. We have to sell it. We don't want to, but we make so much. For every dollar in revenue generated, $8 is spent cleaning up the mess. Our country, we kid ourselves about things. Marvin Block, who was the chairman of the American Medical Association Committee on Alcoholism, said ours is a drug-oriented society. That's prescription or non-prescription. We are a drug-oriented society, largely because of alcohol. Because of its social acceptance, alcohol is rarely thought of as a drug, but a drug it is in scientific fact. It reduces activity in your central nervous system. It produces the loss of fine motor coordination. It causes impairment of balance, speech, vision, reaction time, and hearing. It causes the judgment and self-control to be reduced, caution, reason, memory. All those are impaired. One ounce of alcohol increases the, the required amount of time to make a decision by 10%. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle enough with making decisions. I don't need a 10% discount. Amen? <laughs> I need all the brain power I can get. Alcohol is a major cause in 36% of all suicides in our country. It sounds kind of dangerous, doesn't it? It sounds very destructive. It sounds like it wouldn't be very smart to get close to it. Here's some more verses that back this up. Let me just write these verses down there. They're on the screen for you. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. The Bible says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Oh, yeah, there it is. It's intoxication. Actually, that's an unfortunate translation. It actually literally says, Whoever is led astray by it, or whoever errs by it, is not wise. The Bible says, Whoever is led astray by alcohol is just not very smart. Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35, tells us that alcohol brings, first of all, personal and emotional problems. It says, who has woe? Who has sorrows? 
Then it says it brings us social and relational problems. Who has contentions or complaining? Who has trouble in their family? Who has arguing, fussing, and fighting? Even physical abuse. Because it does bring physical problems, doesn't it? He says, who has, who has wounds without cause? How many of us in this room, because we've been involved with alcohol, have found ourselves, woke, we've wake, woken up in a ditch before? Or we've woken up with a bruise on our arm or a cut on our leg, and we said, where'd that come from? I don't remember that happening. Or something happened to our body. Or sexual abuse or something like that. The Bible says, who has wounds without cause? They don't even know how it happened. Who has redness of eyes? And then it says, those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. He says, Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. The Bible gives us a warning. It says, don't look at its red beauty. Don't admire its sparkle. Don't be captivated by its smooth taste. Man, that almost sounds like a wine tasting contest, doesn't it? Looking at the beauty of the color. Feeling the texture as it goes down. The Bible says we should not be connoisseurs of this dangerous thing called alcohol. We shouldn't be captivated by it. But why? Because it stings like a snake. If I told you right now that there were snakes loose in your house, ladies, what are you going to say to your husband? I'm not coming home until those rattlesnakes are out, right? Or would you say, oh, you know, snakes are way overrated. They're so cute. Oh, you just pet that little thing on the head. I like his little rattle. He makes my child happy. Oh. your eyes will see strange things your heart will utter perverse things have you ever heard people say and do things because they were drinking alcohol that you wish they had never said it'll cause you to make a fool of yourself listen you want to go fishing sometimes I'll go fishing with you alright let's go out in the boat we're going down the Hudson River but if you stand up in the boat I'm going to say what are you doing I'm going to say, uh, hey, you know, you need to be careful. Boats aren't meant to stand up in. Oh, no, that's right. I was just thinking about taking a walk. Where? Oh, just on the water here. Uh, yeah, I just want to go out there and lay down for a little while. I'm going to say, okay, now reach over very carefully, pick up that paddle, and we're going to go back to shore, okay? Because you're getting nuts on me, right? You know what he says? He says, people who are drinking, you know what they would do? They would lie down in the middle of the sea. Have you ever seen anybody do something that dumb when they're drinking? They would think that they could go lay down and make a bed on the ocean. You know what they're going to do? They're going to drown. That's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to drown. He says it makes you vulnerable to danger. He says, like one who lies down on the top of a mast or a lookout, when we're drinking, we're not alert to dangers that are coming. Is that not true? Our inhibitions are down. We don't realize some things that are dangerous to us and to others. For those who would say, well, I don't get drunk, I just drink occasionally. A good question to ask is this, when is it drunkenness? At what point do I become influenced and controlled by alcohol? Well, it's according to where you go. Some countries, some states say you can be .05. Some countries, some states say you can be .08. Some places say you can be .10. I wonder what God's point is. Point what? How long can I go down this road that we're describing, that's the question, is it? How long can I go down that road until I get into sin? 
It just doesn't seem like the smartest thing to do with my life. So I choose not to. Also, you need to know the Bible says it's not for leaders. I don't really have a choice, to be honest with you, even if I wanted to. Proverbs 31, verse 4 says, Now here's a mom speaking to her son, who is the king. He says, she says, It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed, and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. The Bible says, I believe, that for me as a pastor, alcohol is off limits. I have too many people, and we're going to talk about the influence part here in just a minute, a little bit more specifically, but I have too many people in my life that I'm making decisions for, that I'm looking out for, that I can take one second of losing even 10% of my judgment to make the right decision. Amen? Amen. I just, I don't have, I don't have it to give. I need all I can get and even more, amen? <laughs> I ask God for even more. I believe the Bible teaches that alcohol is not for our president. It's not for our Congress. Yeah, right. Amen? <laughs> Somebody said one time, there's the Democratic Party, there's the Republican Party, and there's the cocktail party. That's about how it is in Washington. But what about you? You're a parent. Is there any greater leader in the world than a parent? Is there any higher calling? You see, leadership equals influence. Really, leadership is about influencing other people. If you have people in your life that you influence, you are a leader. People are following your direction. And there is no greater leadership position in this world, I believe, than being a parent, than training and equipping young people to go in the right direction with their life. What about husbands? Husbands, you're supposed to be the spiritual leader in your family. Maybe you can handle your alcohol, but maybe your wife can't. Or maybe your children can't. Wives, maybe you can handle it, but maybe your husband can't. What about if you're a boss? You say, well, that's just a work relationship. Well, you're a leader. People are looking to you. They respect you. They admire you. You have authority in their life. They're looking to you to some extent, hopefully, for how to live their lives. What if you're a Sunday school teacher, a WANA leader, a youth leader? If I'm a leader, do I want to be known as being great with alcohol? Now, listen sounds kind of funny to us adults, but I want to speak to the young people for just a minute. Today, we are celebrating graduate recognition. We've got at least five young people in our church who are graduating from either high school or college or some secondary education. Praise God. Amen? But listen, let me tell you something. Adults, maybe just to give you a clue here, if we're out of touch, the fact is, in high school and in college, those who drink the best and the most are usually looked up to. And some of our young people feel that tension. They feel that pull of being the the party animal or the life of the party. And that's unfortunate. But young people, can I just warn you, as you're going off to college, as you're starting out in this world, the Bible says you should aspire to greater aspiration than than that you would be the best drinker in the room. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 22 says, Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine. I'm the best at mixing some drink. Woe to me if I'm known as the best bartender in town. And valiant men who, in in mixing strong drink. The Bible says, woe to us if we're known for being good at alcohol. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and in Revelation 5, 10, if you are a child of God, whether you like it or not, you are a leader. Did you know the Bible says, if you are a child of God, you are a king and you are a priest. You have influence in people's lives. Can I just tell you something? Can I just share my heart with you? This is one of the strongest reasons that I personally would not drink alcohol 
Now, let me ask you if you can identify with me on something. Sometimes I know that something will hurt me, but I don't care. I do it anyway. Amen? Anybody do that? Am I the only one? Sometimes I know that things will hurt me, but I do them anyway. And that's not right, but that's my attitude sometimes. But you know what? When I know that something will hurt somebody else, it causes me to think twice many times. Amen? Do I think that I would shrivel up and die if I drank a beer while I was sitting out at my 4th of July? I'm sitting there on my back porch. I'm cooking on the grill. Would I think that I'd just die if I drank one beer? No, I don't think it would kill me, probably. But I don't have any guarantee because the Bible says it's very dangerous. And the other reason, the primary reason that I would not is because I don't want to influence one other person in that direction. Maybe I can handle it. I think we're fooling ourselves when we think we can handle it. But let's say you can handle it. Maybe you can handle it. But what about, did you know every person that walks by my deck and sees me, my children, my wife, my neighbors, every one out of ten of them, one of them, if they're influenced in that direction, will become an alcoholic because of my influence. That's not what I want to be known for, amen? I don't want to encourage anybody in that direction. It's not worth the pain that it could cause me, and it's not worth the influence that I could have negatively in turning you in that direction. Other questions we might ask. Wasn't Jesus the life of the party? I mean, he went to a wedding, and what did he do? Didn't he turn water to wine? I even heard of one pastor who applied for a, uh, a, a liquor license because he said Jesus was the first bartender anyway. We may as well have fun at church. Let me ask you a question. How could we imagine? Now, don't you think about this. As far as we know, this is the first miracle that's revealed that Jesus did here in his earthly ministry. How could we imagine that the first miracle that Jesus did to reveal his glory and at an occasion where a young bride would very possibly conceive on that very night, how could we possibly imagine with him knowing the effects of that alcohol on that conception in her life that the Lord himself would have provided an intoxicating beverage for that group of people. I don't believe that's what he did. Somebody says, well, isn't wine involved in the Lord's Supper? Aren't you supposed to have wine in the Lord's Supper? In fact, sometimes I'll be talking to other pastors or other religious leaders, and, and somehow they'll pick up that we drink grape juice when we do the Lord's Supper. And I'll get this kind of sweet, condescending, bless your hearts, y'all little kids that can't drink the strong stuff, you know. That's sweet and innocent that you drink grape juice with the Lord's Supper. Can I just tell you? It's interesting to me. Have you ever noticed when Jesus talks about the Lord's Supper, it's interesting to me that he didn't use the word wine. As far as I can tell, he didn't use the word wine. He used the word cup, and he used the word fruit of the vine. It sounds to me like he didn't want it to be ambiguous. He didn't want us to wonder about that. He, he refers to the elements as the bread and the cup or the bread and the fruit of the vine. Would Jesus have instituted one of the most meaningful events in the life of his people, of his followers, with a substance that would have excluded one out of ten people from being able to enjoy that together with us? I don't think so. The best point, I think, to be made for this is this. When, when the when the, the Lord's Supper was instituted, it was instituted based on the Passover. Do you remember in the Passover, Moses was instructed and he instructed the people, there is to be no leaven in this celebration. Does anybody know what leaven does? What does leaven do? 
it ferments and it rises, right? Leaven almost always, if not always in the Bible, almost always is seen as a negative thing in Scripture. It is seen as symbolic of our pride as human beings, of us being puffed up and proud. And so when God led them out of Egypt, He said, I don't want there to be any doubt this had nothing to do with you. There is no human pride. So you ever wonder why we eat those kind of not the best tasting crackers that are flat and kind of charred and no salt on them? You ever wonder why? It wasn't supposed to taste good. We were supposed to be reminded God provided for us and He let us out and had nothing to do with anything that we added. Amen? That's the bread. What about the juice? Let's think about it this way. First of all, should there be any leaven or fermentation in the juice? Should there be any leaven there if there wasn't any of the bread? Do you think, what do you think is a better picture of Jesus' blood? Grapes that have been fermented and decayed in the sunlight and putrefied or the natural fruit of the vine that came right off the grape cluster? What do you think is, more picture, uh, is a better picture of the sweet and precious and pure blood of Jesus? Here's another question. What about Paul? When he wrote Timothy and he told him to use a little wine for his stomach's sake. Well, I got to let you in on a little clue. Timothy was a young pastor and apparently being a pastor in Ephesus wasn't so easy, so he had stomach problems. <laughs> okay. It appears that Timothy had stomach problems. And Paul said to him, he was either saying, use some, use some, uh, use some wine in your water to purify it. It's okay, Timothy. He was either saying that because the water was making him sick, or it's very likely that he did have some stomach problems because the people were driving him nuts. And so Paul said, look, you don't have CVS. It's okay to use a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, we don't need it for that purpose today. We've got prescribed, we've got dosages that have been studied, hopefully, we trust that, that have been studied, that are the right amounts to take care of certain problems. But I want you to notice that it's interesting that Paul had to tell Timothy to take it because Timothy was obviously so sensitive about not using wine that he wouldn't even take it for medicinal purposes until Paul told him to do it. Here's a great question. I actually had a mom say this to me one time. And I told her, I said, I hope your daughter never uses that same reasoning with you. She said, won't I be better able to witness if people around me see that I'm normal like them? I.e., I drink so I can kind of blend in and be a better witness. I especially hear this a lot at weddings. People say to me, well, we don't want it or we don't like it, or, or we don't think it's right, but people expect it, and I have to provide it for them. Who says? It's your wedding. I mean, you're in control. You've got a great opportunity to say, you know what, Grandma, or Cousin Fred, or Aunt Ethel, you know what, when you go home, you're just as welcome as you can be to drink your glass of wine. But this is our wedding. We love you. We don't want to hurt your feelings. But we want every part of this wedding to honor Jesus. And we're just afraid that if we enter alcohol into the picture, that we might get distracted from our focus on Him and what we're celebrating today. And by the way, Aunt Ethel, we can have a whole lot of fun without having alcohol involved in our lives. Why don't we be a witness, friends? Why don't we be bold? Why are we so afraid? Why don't we show the world that following Christ gives us joy that we don't need to be controlled by some foreign substance. Now, I want to tell you here today, this message is not intended to make anybody feel guilty or ashamed or anything like that. 
And nobody here should judge anybody else based on the decisions, the convictions that you make. But I want you to have firm convictions based on what you know from God's Word. And actually, i got to tell you, you're not going to want to hear this part, but Romans 14 says, if you have any doubt, you need to reconsider. Romans 14, 23 says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. If you say, I will drink alcohol, then you need to be able to say that based on the fact that you know that you can trust in God and be pleasing to Him and still do that. If you can say that, that's between you and God. But based on the evidence, based on knowing what we serve here today, that's hard for me to come to. You see, what God is calling us to in these verses, the whole point of this, and and Paul just kind of takes a side note in talking about alcohol, but the whole point of this is that God wants us to walk with Him. And He doesn't want anything else to control our lives. And he says alcohol has a great ability to really take us away from God's intention for our life. But you could plug whatever else you want into. It may not be alcohol for you. It may be a relationship. It may be pursuing a job. It may be your finances. It may be a hobby that you have. Whatever it is, the point of this, the point of what we're going to be learning in Ephesians chapter 5 is that God wants you to be led by him and by his spirit. But he's throwing up a little caution flag. Alcohol is a snake that bites. 